Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz, Season 2, Episode 3 of our new generative AI, text-to-image, kind of like sort of all techie fun stuff that we're doing within the creative world. And today I'm going to talk to Gina Asarokolura, who is... She has a foot in both camps, and she's going to introduce herself a bit better than I could ever do. But she's SVP, Creative Director at FCB Health over in New York City, and she's also an adjunct professor at FIT. So here we have an industry professional who is also an educator teaching within our space. And so it'll be really interesting to hear how industry feeds into the classroom and how the classroom feeds into industry in terms of lots of generative AI, what kind of experiments we're having and we're seeing and where things might be going, right? So, hi, Gina. It's nice to talk to you today. You too. Thank you very much for having me. So did I get you right there, Gina? Was that kind of accurate, you think? That was the perfect summation of the last 20 plus years of my life. So thank you for that. <laughs> okay. And um, so, yeah, I mean, just to just to kind of sort of set the scene a little bit, in terms of, of what you do day to day, right? I mean, lots of, you know, you work as a, as a creative director, but then you're also working as an educator. How do those two worlds kind of blend in terms of practice without thinking of AI, but just in terms of like, logistics what do you take into the classroom and what does the classroom give back if that kind of makes sense yeah of course i mean i look at it as i bring the boardroom into the classroom and vice versa there's so much to learn from the students who right now digital natives they don't know a world without an iphone or anything connected right and then there's the agency world where it's a mixed bag of generations. And I, I had a client meeting today and I kept saying to the client, you know, I'm an old ad girl. And I was citing, uh, you may remember this campaign. It was the Never Never Stop Growing campaign from Keds mm -hmm. that Kirschenbaum Bond did in the 90s. One of my favorite emotional, heartwarming, right? And she, you know, the client, I think she might be 30, 33, you know, and she's like, you're not old. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But there's so much that we can draw from when we started in the days of print and then the dot com bubble happened and then things just kind of imploded. And again, like I look back and I'm like, we had we didn't have Instagram eight, 10 years ago, we didn't, you know, social media wasn't what it is right now. So I feel like I'm really able to sort of coexist in these two worlds and really converge them together. Mm -hmm. So like knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I've also had another old campaign on my mind. Is it live or is it Memorex where Ella Fitzgerald is singing and they did a whole print series, but they had TV ads and things like that. And it's like, I feel like we're kind of now in that world today, knowing that the world synthetic mm -hmm. is becoming a label 
and is becoming a thing when we think about the world of generative AI and what creators are going to be doing, what they're already experimenting with, with all of these various tools. I mean, it's just, I feel like every day I'm seeing another post on LinkedIn with, here's more tools for AI. And it's just like, everybody's list keeps growing and growing, like, on the daily. So part of me is very excited about it. Just like the dot-com era, very exciting time. There were some very weird companies popping up, right? Mm -hmm. But also like thinking about like, okay, when is everyone going to catch up to it? Or when are there going to be some safeguards put into place so that, um, you know, as I mentioned before, YouTube just announced a new policy that they're putting in place to label YouTube content that's generative AI, like saying synthetic. So it's going to be really, you know, if someone like YouTube is going to do it, where are some of the other big players going to follow or when will they follow? So I think, you know, the students are experimenting in a way that, you know, they're, they have that hacker mentality, which I love and adore. And it's, you know, kind of like, see what you can do with all this technology. Um, and then on the agency side, I think we're still feeling it out a little bit. Yes, we're using it for quick storyboards, for quick visuals that, you know, you would hire an illustrator to do and it might take them a week to do. Now we can do it, you know, overnight or something, you know, even less time than that. Um, so we're using a lot of mid-journey on the agency side, but I find that the students are just ready to experiment and play around with lots of different things and try to see, like, how do I apply something like, you know, Jasper, if we're doing a brand voice project, how does that tool come into play with brand voice when we're teaching them some of the fundamentals and the principles of what verbal identity is and what brand voice is and personality traits, things like that. So again, I feel like the worlds are converging. It's going faster on the academia side of things with students. I think agencies are still trying to figure it out and be a little more pragmatic about it. But, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a client who asked, like, can't you just do that? And, you know, generative AI. And we were like, oh, we have to check with legal, you know, <laughs> like it's just not that willy nilly. No. So. Yeah. And it's not just legal issues, is it? I mean, sure, legal and ethical issues do come into play. But also it's this expectation that generative AI can do anything mm. except it can't. It can give you that idea or that prompt, and then you still have to work it through. Sure. We were saying before, when we how quickly it's all advanced. My first thoughts to bring into the classroom was when I heard that BBDO, I think it was BBDO, were playing, experimenting in terms of ideation with um, with generative AI. And it wasn't, I think it was this year sometime, maybe like early on in the year. I thought, man, we've got to start like, sort of, you know, upping our game in, in educational spaces. And so... We start doing it, and then, yeah, I think that in terms of experimenting and hacking, students have got much more of a playground there, you know, in order to be able to do this than perhaps within within the agency world because there's other considerations as well. But it's the experimentation that leads to the great ideas, right? Would you agree? 
Absolutely. I mean, I also like what we've been talking about with my team is like on the production side of things, where might we be able to use generative AI that might help with a shoot? Mm -hmm. So the art team, right? Remember the days of like making the, the notepad that was in the hotel that you were shooting at and doing the brand identity and all of that, or coming up with the name for a brand, a band or something like that, like when it's all in the context of production. Now it seems like using generative generative AI, it allows us a little more flexibility so that, you know, things don't have that same kind of rigor with legal as they might have last year. If we're able to produce some things for the art team in a, a very nimble fashion, we may be okay, right? So I think on the production side of things, it gives us a, a level of utility that is very interesting. And again, like gives that sort of like need for speed on certain things, just sort of changes the way we're mm -hmm. looking at them. Yeah. So it's kind of like speeding the process up and in a way, opening up other options and other opportunities that a longer drawn out process may not have enabled you to get to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So like thinking about like props and styling, again, for a, sh a TV shoot, you know, you're, you're creating a store. What's the name of the store? What's, you know, what, it, what are the name tags? What's all that branding? There's something about, you know, tapping into generative AI as a resource to see what that could do to help inspire the art department where the agency creative team will be like, this is our color palette. This is our tone. This is the vibe we're going for. And then see what the art team does on the production side. Like very interesting. Yeah. And you got your mock-ups there. Right. I guess that's not at the push of a button, but at the end of a sentence almost, right? You know, just put that sentence in and let's try and see what, what comes out. So how are your students actually adapting to this? I mean, are they are they relishing it? Are they enjoying it? Or are they kind of a bit intimidated by the whole process? I feel like it's a little bit of both, honestly. Like, again, knowing that they're, you know, digital natives, they don't know a world without any of this technology. There's a level of acceptance but then there's also like a little bit of a like oh we can use it because i think you know what they're hearing out in the world is like you know plagiarism and things like that which again it's a tool it shouldn't be what creates the final output right it's sort of a means to an end it shouldn't be the end so that's what i like about the prompts and really trying to make it as human centered as possible, because, you know, I can see a difference like the prompts that I'm using, what the how how much better the output is getting. And I'm, I've been playing around with ChatGBT, like write a manifesto about, you know, a woman named Gina just for funsies, just to see. And it's like, again, like a human wouldn't write it like that. But as a starting point. Okay, there might be a couple of phrases in there that I would use as a starting point. So it's really interesting in that sense. Yeah, totally. The whole idea of the starting point, we're not production ready yet. You know, that seems to be so true right now. My thoughts, though, are that 
as we and we were talking before I was telling you about this um this book idea where by the time it's printed and published it's going to be a history book really because the acceleration in the development of of this tech is just um it's just crazy fast right now so in terms of where we were like 6 months ago where it was really hit and miss you had uncanny valley like crazy now it's like some of the results are just they're not quite there yet, but they are pretty, pretty amazing. So in terms of, I, I believe, print, we're probably quicker to the to the finish line. In terms of moving image, maybe not so. It's not something I play with a lot. But I have heard, again, I said, you know, commentary about moving image where generative AI is not quite at that production finish line, but it's, um, it's speeding up as well and it's helping the process. Now... What I found also quite useful in terms of production is the micro level of generative AI that you can you can use within, say, for example, Photoshop. In terms of, of you know generative fill here and there, so uh, with Illustrator where you can lots of um, be prompting a specific mood to get to to generate a color palette, you know that kind of thing. I feel that that's kind of useful. You know, um, AI is also being used in Lightroom, for example, in order to add depth and um, and blur to your images so that you don't have to worry about that within the shoot itself is able to kind of like so read the image at such a detailed level that it's able to kind of um understand like sort of depth perception right you know which is it's kind of like it's taking a lot of like hard work out of that process yep. and coming up with some pretty good results so at that micro level i'm liking really what i'm seeing so I'm moving a little bit away from not just ideation, but let's start to bring it into into production or into post-production, perhaps. Sure, sure. I mean, I think that, again, like more on the agency side of things with an application like Runway and to see like just some like example videos of what Runway will be able to do, like for us, it's amazing because like how great is a tool like that to try to explain something to a client now we can do something really quick and say it would look like this and it would be moving like this right and that's just based on you know some some stock imagery that you know you can then add lighting to and and just you know the water is moved it's kind of again it's like i get i get a little nervous and scared and excited all at the same time by the potential of it, but also how I think it's going to help creative teams explain things to clients in a way that we could just click something and it would be a prototype, Mm -hmm. right? You haven't gone to set yet. You haven't enlisted a director yet, but this is part of our vision and, you know, doing, doing a storyboard, isn't going to like have the same impact as just hitting play on something. Yeah. That to me is thrilling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And in terms of the visual, right. It's um, I think that's where we're getting really excited about in terms of lots of uh, wherever we've used it, it, the improvement and just the creative doors it's opening, you know, just because it's weird, right. You know, you put a prompt in and sometimes it's so weird what comes out, you would never think of it. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But let's just move to sideways a little bit and um, tapping into your experience as a 
as a copywriter, which you've you've done as well, right? You know, we've had this conversation before how you've gone from copy to art and backwards and forwards. And that's what I love really about this business is how it used to be siloed, but I believe that we're fluid now, you know, in our roles. And that's the way as a creative you should be anyway, right? So, but in terms of copy, in terms of copy, does generative AI cut it? Do you think that we can allow ChatGPT to write our headlines for us? Again, as a starting point, I think it's interesting. But there's something about, you know, a conversational tone, right? Or um, a tone that uses pop culture references that only a human could write or come up with as a starting point. I don't think, you know, ChatGBT is there yet. May it get there? Like it's moving fast, so it could. But I still think that the role of a copywriter is probably going to evolve and change a little bit. Again, we adapted to, you know, we went from doing TV, print, and radio to, you know, then there was a lot of direct mail happening. And then we had dot coms and we were writing websites. And it was like a what? I remember like banners, what? Flash, what? Like I worked on the launch of Xbox Live a million years ago. Like that was just like, again, it was this sort of like, awesome chaos and so much possibility when people started getting broadband in their homes. It was just like another inflection point for so many industries, but particularly advertising, because then, you know, Netflix came around and then we have all these other digital platforms. So I know I got off on a tangent a little bit, but I feel like if writers are embracing the technology, are aware of it, are using it, there are smart ways for us to use it as a starting point. I don't think it's going to be the end all be all for a while, but I think our role is going to have to adapt to the changing times like it already has. Like TikTok, I'm not on, you know, I'm on TikTok because consumers are on TikTok. I'm not, you know, I'm not on TikTok. I, I think it's hilarious. I don't really get it, but I'm Gen X and, you know, just like Snapchat. It scared the heck out of me. What do you mean it disappears? But, you know, my twin, you know, 17-year-old nieces and nephew been on Snapchat for five years. And they're like, yeah, what's your problem, Angina? Yeah. Right? So it's like one of those things where it's like you have to kind of go with it, understand it enough, um, and adapt, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head there about the human voice, right? Because we have to bring it back. We're talking about the use of these tools within an advertising context, right? Be it education or within within industry. And um, and it is, it's a human form of communication. It's what sets us apart from journalists and from other types of designers, for example. You know, that what we are doing is forging that human connection. And tone of voice is vital, right? I mean, you know, I remember years ago, first I was about working within graphic design and leading students into the world of art direction and and somewhere I had to prepare them for the fact that all of those mechanical mechanical skills that they'd learned within graphic design they would have to undo because suddenly you have to unlearn that practice and become I don't know uh, allow lots of this humanity the pop culture to come in all those references the fast thinking the not being precious about that that end result and so on and um Allow somebody else to do that kind of heavy lifting, but really kind of, 
you know, help to connect the different points between the person, the consumer, and um, and the message you're trying to relay, you know? Um, so really user-first or user-centric in, in the way you're designing. I mean, what you just said reminded me of David Carson and Raygun Magazine. Remember that? It was like he blew up all the rules of graphic design and helped, right, like sort of change the way we were looking at editorial and typography. And everyone adapted and adjusted, and he inspired a generation of creatives. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still use David Carson as an example, as a as a keystone, right, you know, for allowing design to kind of speak, right, to, to give power to like to language because i mean the way that you actually like you roll with that wave you know when he was designing for surfer magazine mm-hmm. the story led you through that green room it was amazing you know i mean i love david carson's work so much and in a way really it's kind of revolutionary in the way that these new tools can enable us to be revolutionary in our own way yeah but i think understanding that human connection that that is still vital and that's maybe where the machine doesn't quite get it right now Yeah. Right. Right. I think for me, I'm like afraid of the Terminator, right? The the machines taking over Mm -hmm. or like that, you know, an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, yeah. Right. But I think, you know, where we are, because everyone is learning at the same time and experimenting at the same time, I think, you know, guardrails will be put in place so that, you know, none of this is used for anything bad. It's really used for like art mm-hmm. and, you know, communication design. Yeah. And, you know, I know people that are using it, you know, to like sort of sort through emails and then distill them into, you know, presentations. But it, a human still needs to review it before it's shared. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, I find it quite funny, really, oh, not on a tangent, but kind of, sort of related the way that sort of all of these world leaders got together last week and decided that they were going to save the world from the the perils of AI, you know. Right. I think they don't even like to control their own economies. How the hell are they going to, like, save the world from AI? Does it really pose such a danger? I mean, you know, ultimately what we're looking, I mean, I'm sure that there is that that side to it, which we're not concerned with in, in this conversation. But in terms of, like, of um, the perils of AI, the ethical kind of um, guardrails, I think we've been there before. With postmodernism, and I think we've been there before from the early days of like of you know the modernist movement in art, you know, with Dada and moving through punk and appropriation. All of these issues have been raising raising these questions um, for a long time now, over a, you know for about hundred years or so. So, you know, I don't think it's that much different in a way, but it's. It's just exhibiting itself in the way that we communicate now, right? Which is through technology. Right, right. So I'm going to like sort of um, close us down then um, on that note there, Gina. Do you have any kind of like sort of closing thoughts about where you think we might be in terms of creative education and generative AI in a year's time or in six months' time? Wow. I think that more and more syllabi are going to include assignments that start with generative AI as, again, that starting point. But I think that, you know, on the advertising side of things, conceptually, 
where can that start us? But then how does the human evolve it? I think it's great for the ideation process, but you still need to be able to self-edit and factor in, okay, I was asked to write a hundred taglines and maybe I, you know, phoned it in and just put it into chat GBT to see what I get. But then there's going to be a part two and three to that assignment where the human really needs to, you know, put their fingerprints on it and like see it to the finish line. So again, I think, I think more and more courses are going to include AI assignments, but the human is not going to abandon any of it. Like the human is crucial to the final output. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I'm just loving these conversations right now. You know, these perspectives and it's like, even if I do weekly or every two weeks, it's like something new has come along and it's just fun to hear and fun to keep doing for now, I guess, you know? So thank you, Gina, for taking part in this, uh, in this podcast. And um, I look forward to having another conversation again sometime soon. Likewise. Thank you so much, John. 